So today's message, I've titled, Tastelessly Dim. Tastelessly Dim. So I had been missing out, and I didn't even know it. And for 23 years, I'm not sure to this day what it was that my mom fed me um, vegetable-wise. It was this canned stuff. Um, And for 23 years, I didn't know what I was missing until Jennifer took me home to meet her stepmom and her dad. And her mom, or stepmom, Aileen, made her corn and green beans that came out of her field that she grew, that she made. She like um, would can the green beans, would cut up the corn off the cob, and butter the you know what out of it, and then put it in the freezer and pull it out, and like it was like gold. It, it was awesome. I swore that day I would never eat another canned green bean or canned piece of corn ever again. I had been lied to for so, like the green stuff that comes out of canned green beans, they should not glow. Just saying. I missed out. 19 years of my life, I missed out on something more important than corn and green beans. I missed out on a relationship with Jesus. 19 years, I grew up Catholic. I I knew about Jesus. I, I knew about God. I believed in God. But I really didn't have a grasp of what a relationship with Jesus meant. I dated a girl for three years that was a Christian. She went to FCA while I was never invited. She never told me about Jesus. None of my friends that were Christians told me about Jesus. I don't know why, but I missed out. So last week, we looked at the Beatitudes, or as I like to call them, the Beatawats. Because the Beatitudes are these countercultural, kingdom minded statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus finishes off the Beatitudes by telling us we should accept persecution with joy. And as we will begin, to look at today, Jesus now begins a series of images which explain why it's important that disciples should both be different and be seen to be different. We begin to see the sermon kind of opening up a little bit. He starts out by telling us these things that really didn't make sense because we didn't understand the kingdom mindset. And so he starts out and he shows us what what the kingdom of God looks like. Now he moves into telling us the importance of what followers of Jesus are supposed to do with that faith. 
And then over the next few weeks, we'll then see where he, he gives specific examples of what this looks like to live out life as a follower of Jesus. So today we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. The thing we need to understand about what he's saying here is that salt is important because the world cannot survive without salt. The world cannot survive without salt. You see, salt was obtained during that time from the shores of the Red Sea. And it was used because it was added to sacrifices which was the the covenant of salt, which we find in Leviticus chapter 2. They used salt to purify things. They used it kind of like we used it today to flavor things. But it was also used to preserve. You know, they didn't have ice. No ice machines back then. Uh, No ice freezing over. You know, they or water freezing over. Sorry, ice doesn't freeze like water freezes. Sorry. Sorry, science teacher over here. Uh, I corrected myself because I knew I would get corrected if I didn't. Uh, so they used the salt and they would pack it around the meat to preserve it. You see, salt was a necessity for life. And so we see Jesus uses as salt to help connect the dots of how important it was for followers of Jesus to live out their faith. Salt. Let's look at salt in the human body. We've kind of looked at it for food, but let's look at the human body. So salt is important for muscle and nerve function. It controls our blood pressure. It helps to prevent nausea and vomiting. It helps prevent headaches and confusion, loss of energy, fatigue, restlessness, irritability, muscle weakness, spasms, and cramps. That's what the sodium in your body does for you. It's important that we have it in our lives. You see, just as the world cannot live without salt, the disciples of Jesus are no less essential to the well-being of the whole earth. Jesus is saying, being salt, being followers of Jesus is essential to everyone in your life. I think we can go so far as to say, to be without the salt of Jesus in our life is death. Because we can't live without the salt. So what does this mean? It means that followers of Jesus are meant to add flavor to the world around them. If you're not adding salty flavor to the community around you, it means one thing. You lack salt. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, you're just misunderstood about me. I'm just the low-sodium brand. 
saying or believing that you are unsalty salt is like saying water can lose its wetness. It can't happen. You cannot be salty and unsalt at the same time. There's no half and half. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus refers to the church of you're either warm or you're either hot or cold. There is no warm. You don't get to be in the middle. But it's better if you just pick a side. So you can't be salty and not. The Greek word, which is translated for loses its saltiness, or in some translations it says loses its taste, the word literally means to be foolish or to play the fool. So Jesus, what he's really trying to get at is to say that you're salty and not be is to be a fool. What does our life say to the people around us? A faith that does not have the salt saturation of Christ in our lives is not faith at all. It's just purely knowledge of a person who did great things. Jesus goes on because thinking, you know, my audience typically doesn't get the first analogy, so I'm going to give them another analogy just to help drive home the first one. And so verses 14 through 16, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bull. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So light, what does that do for us? Without light, we will end up with a vitamin D deficiency. We're more susceptible to depression, less likely to survive cancer, increased risk for dementia and Alzheimer's disease, severe risk of heart disease without light. I I, I haven't experienced this, but I've heard people talk about um, living in Michigan. And during the the winter months, there's a higher rate of depression because it's darker longer for whatever reason in Michigan. Is is there any truth to that? This person who lived there, he's never been depressed, so he doesn't know. He's a cheerful guy. Yeah, yeah, he 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 goes out into the light, so you know he's he's good. So light is important to us. We don't go by the window and say we got light. Because why? Our windows are all protected with stuff, right? To, to stop the, the rays from coming inside, to making it hot inside. No, we, we go outside for light. 
I looked all over for this flashlight that I used to have, which I evidently don't have anymore. Probably got stolen by one of my kids because it was a cool light. But for the light to work, you had to work. You see, it had this little thing that popped out on the side and you had to wind it up and then turn the light on. And then in the middle of whatever you're doing, you have to stop and wind it up again. But it required us to do something. It wasn't just simply push a button and light is there. You see, much like the light of Christ cannot just be simply knowledge in our life. It was meant to have work put to it. For us to show it to others. Blindness occurs in an individual who's been in darkness for three days. That's all it takes is three days of complete darkness for someone to lose their eyesight. Think about that in terms of separation from Christ, the light of the world. How quickly we become blind to the things of God. If you haven't seen miracles happen around you, you're blind to it. Because you, you've distanced yourself from the light. You see, your faith was never intended for the world to not know about it. Your faith was always meant to be told to the people around you. To be shared with the people around you. The light that Jesus brings is also provided by His disciples. The world needs that light, and it's through the disciples that that light is made visible. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the best game plan for Jesus. To rely on us to make Him visible to others. But that's our job. That's our role as His created beings. And it even more so when we accept Jesus into our life and we say, Jesus, we want to live for you. Well, part of living for him is to proclaim to others what he's done in our life. To show that light to the world. You see, Christianity was always meant to be a social religion. It was never meant to be a one-on-one, you-do-it-yourself. It was always meant to be in community with each other. John Wesley says this perfectly when he says, to turn Christianity into a solitary religion is indeed to destroy it. Then he goes on a little farther and he said, Unobserved religion cannot be the religion of Jesus. Whatever religion can be concealed, it is not Christianity. If a Christian could could be hid, he could not be compared to a city on a hill. 
It could not be compared to the light of the world, the sun shining from the sky to be seen by all the world below. Never, therefore, let it enter into the heart of any whom God has renewed by His Holy Spirit to hide that light. Never let him think that he can keep his religion to himself. Such a thought is contrary to the plan of Jesus himself. It is impossible to accomplish. If you're around somebody new that maybe doesn't know you, how long does it take them before they realize something's different about you? How long does it take? Days? Weeks? Months? Shouldn't take too long. And and I'm not saying that we have to knock everyone over with how Christian we are. Because I think we can also go to the opposite spectrum and be so Christianese about things that we turn people off. You've met that person. I, I, everybody's met one of those people that everything is like somehow connected to the Bible. And they can quote you all the Bibles that go with every little thing that happens. And that overdone Christianity is a turnoff to people. But it's also a turnoff when we come to church. We say, I am a Christian. But when people encounter us out in public, that's not what they see. And I'm not talking about you having a bad day. Everybody has a bad day, right? I mean, we all have bad days. But I'm saying, like, this is a regular thing. This is how you are. We should never change who we are just because we came to church. We should never change who we are just because we're around this person instead of this person. We should always seek to be who Christ wants us to be. Who Christ challenges us to be. You know, I know that there are some families even some uh, uh, people who maybe grew up um, in, in different cultures who, like, becoming a Christian almost had to be something they kept secret because they would have been literally banished from their home if their family found out that they weren't Hindu or Muslim like the rest of the family. But you know... I sometimes wonder how many people would get to come to church if we had that same mindset for Christians. 
Oh, sorry, buddy. I saw you this week. Go home. Think about what you've done. It's silly, right? Because to do that is to say that we expect perfection, not sinners. I always get a kick out of uh, people who aren't Christian who say, oh, I, I don't, I'm not dealing with church people. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, oh, come on. You'll be welcome. You'll fit right in. Because everyone is a hypocrite at one point or another. None of us are perfect. We wouldn't need to be here if we were. Maybe that's what's wrong. Maybe people who aren't here think they already are. But we're not. Jesus is looking at fellow humans when he tells them, you are the light of the world. He did not say, I am the light of the world. He looks at them and he says, you are the light of the world. People that had messed up lives, people who were sinners, imperfect people, just like us. But what made them the light of the world? They were seeking to follow Jesus. They were seeking to follow Jesus. And he was telling them, if you want to follow me, don't hide it. Don't hide it from the people around you. But let them see it. He says that you're a city on a hill. Let everyone see the light that you have inside of you. What do people see in us? Do they see Christ? He's not expecting perfection. What he wants is you to seek him. In these next couple of weeks, we're going to go a little further and we'll see that now Jesus goes from simply saying, you are the light of the world. You need to not hide it. So if we're not to hide it, what is supposed to look different about us? And we'll see that he takes two things and he kind of weighs them on the scales of the kingdom mindset. You think that the law is more important. But I'm saying love is more important. So does that mean we negate the law? Oh, no, no, no. Love says the law goes even further. Stand with me.
if you would, just reach out your hands and receive this blessing this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into something deeper. Our light may be simply just a flicker, but you say don't hide it. Let it be shown to the world. God, I pray that you would use us, even in our imperfections, to show the light of Christ to the world, to this community, to the people that we'll encounter today, to our friends, our family, to our neighbors, to the people all around us, God. May we be light. And just maybe, we can bring some light to their blindness, to help them see again. May our lives honor and glorify you, Jesus, we pray. Amen.